I'm only finishing this book so I can complain about it where people can hear. Thanks for joining the Escape With Me book club. Escape with me, Lizzie Sawyer. And me, Sam Reiner. And to our most recent read. Come with us as we evade reality and go into detail about this book. We're going to be discussing it cover to cover, beginning to end. So remember, there will be spoilers. Today we are going to the Seven Satrapies. Published in 2010, The Black Prism is the first book in a five-volume series called The Lightbringer series. The book was received well critically with it debuting at number 23 on the New York Times bestseller list and later becoming a finalist in the 2011 David Gimmel Legend Award for Best Fantasy Novel. Even today, it is still sits with high fours on Audible, Amazon, and Barnes & Noble's website, and a 4.2 on Goodreads. But as the front cover states, every light casts a shadow. Why do people like this book? It's about a f- <gasps> cult. You would think they would be more interesting then, wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. Anyway, this was suggested to us by our lovely supporter, Caitlin Faith. We love you, Caitlin. We love you, Caitlin, very much. And only listen if you want brutal honesty. We will always be honest about the book we read. I feel like it's a disservice to claim you feel differently about a book than you actually do because real conversations and whatnot. Adult level, this is adult. This is probably the darkest we have ever gone in anything. If you have a trigger, anything, literally anything, it is in this book. Let me see how fast I can read this. Fat shaming, graphic violence, death of a parent, child, spouse, animals, and everybody. Blood, language, verbal abuse, mental abuse, including negative self-talk, physical abuse specifically to children, extreme tonal shifts, slavery, physical and sexual, nudity, implied sexual relations, suicidal ideation and suicide, sexual assault, rape, forced adoption, kidnapping, and drug use. (sighs) If you have a trigger, it is in this book. I'm actually winded. That was all one breath. Thank you, band. Judging a book by its cover, it's super generic. Yes, it does. Can we talk about how much I hate the cover? It looks exactly like Runes of Gorlin, but it tells me less somehow. I think it's about as good as Runes of Gorlin, except it's longer. At least Runes of Gorlin had some of the ruins on the cover. It's so generic. There's a dude standing in a hallway. There's a light behind them, and it's kind of like a triangle. It's not even a hallway that we necessarily see in the book, I don't think. I can't even look at the cover anymore because I deleted it off my phone. Neither can I give it to a bookstore. And pull it up on Google. Which is a different problem because normally I have a whole section of character names so we can know what the characters are named. But for this book I didn't have it because in the back they had a glossary of names and who they were. But now I don't own the book anymore and so I can't flip through that. Okay yeah so it's a dude standing in a brick hallway. That's kind of triangular. In what looks kind of like a temple and it's got a yellow green light coming through past the dude and the dude's in a cloak so it's essentially runes of Gorlin, but in a hallway with light in the background yeah it's generic it doesn't tell you anything the best thing on the cover is there's a little blurb and it says something like every light casts a shadow and i will give this book i will not be unfair to this book i will give them props on this for the cover marketing i really like that because on the next book it's like every shadow does x and then on the next one it's every x does y and then the next one every Every Y does Z. And I think we're at the fifth book now. Every Z, something about shadow. I appreciate that. There's more fan art for this book than I thought there was going to be. It's actually decent fan art too. It makes me sad. Use your talents on something better. People are allowed to like this book, just like we are allowed to not like this book. I know people are allowed to like this book. And great people like this book. None of this is knocking people that like this book. You can like this book. Totally allowed. You can like this book. The fan art for this book is good. I hate this book. You're allowed to like this book. 
your fan art looks very good. Yeah. If you like this book and you would be upset by someone not liking this book. Don't listen to this podcast. Don't listen to this episode. That seems like it would just give you negative energy. Don't want to do that. If you like this book and would like to understand some of the criticism, maybe you can hang out. Maybe you'll find something here. But yeah, straight up, we're just going to from the beginning. We are not fans of this book. That trigger warning out there. If you have a trigger, it's in this episode. Do not like the book it's in this episode. He wrote a book series about light and he wrote a book series about shadows. Yeah, so I don't dislike Brent Weeks. Let me also get that out there. He seems like a cool dude. His passion has always been writing and he even talks about this first series is about ninjas and he's just appreciative that a bunch of people took a chance on a guy writing a ninja novel and now he can write this other series that he's really excited about and he has a cool wife. He kind of has a tongue-in-cheek sense of humor. He seems like a cool dude. I don't like his book. No. So let's talk about something that we've actually found really interesting. The magic system. So the magic system in the book is kind of unique. I would tweak it a little bit, yes. Yeah, I would too. But essentially, it is certain people are light benders. That's the best I can put it. It's the reverse physics process where instead of using physical matter to create energy, they use energy to create physical matter that is light related. In physics. Light can be split up into, what, seven colors in the spectrum if you were to shine it through a prism. It depends if you want to include indigo, but that's a very heated discussion for another time. (laughs) (laughs) It's beside the point. Pluto's a planet. We'll just, we'll move on. It's a spectrum. (laughs) It's fine. It's all good. Light colors is an opinion, apparently. (laughs) Roy G. Biv is a lie! Anyway. (laughs) But anyway, each color is kind of given a feeling. So depending on which feeling or personality type you have in yourself, you're more susceptible to be able to light bend, quote unquote, specific colors if you have the ability to bend those colors. Yeah. And it has to do with partly being able to see all the colors. Like in the real world, women usually can see more of the color spectrum than men can, just canonically. Because we have more cones than they do. Which isn't always true. Sometimes men can see as many colors as women, and sometimes women can't see as many colors as other people, and it's the whole thing. Just depends on how many cones you have in your eyeballs. Yep. In, In this world, if you have enough cones and you can see the whole spectrum, you don't need a huge amount of energy to be able to manipulate the colors because you can see them all, which I never really followed, but okay. I think it's more you were able to make a true color versus not an off color, like you would make it true red. But the way he kind of explained it was that the people that can't see colors have to use willpower to make colors happen instead. Sorry, this is me doing what my dad does where I have to talk things out loud to explain it out to myself. It's all good. Where they can see true colors so they don't need to use quite as much willpower to be able to manipulate the colors because they can see the whole spectrum and so they don't have to put as much energy into pulling a specific shade of color whereas someone that can only see base green would have to pull more energy into it to pull green out because they can't see as much green. Because apparently you have to be able to see the color to be able to bend the colors, which kind of makes sense. I sort of get that. And some people are able to do multiple colors, which... 
again, I would assume has to do with different personalities that are in you, what you're more susceptible to, like emotion wise, because like red produces anger and green is wild and blue is calm and organized. And I don't even remember what the other ones were. I think it's more like Cheeto dust. Cheeto dust. In that the more you handle it, the more dust you get on you. And so it's like the more you give in to bending that color, the more it becomes your personality. I don't know why Cheeto dust is what came to my mind, but that's how I've thought of it. Because the more he gave into it, it was like, oh, the more wild I'm becoming. I think that's partly it, but I think it's also kind of like the Shugo Trara eggs, right? The potential of becoming this personality type is within myself, right? Yeah, it's not something where it's like, it would be weird. It's not an absolute, but it's the potential is there. So you're more susceptible to that color because the potential is there. And then it becomes more apparent the more you use that color. Yeah, I don't think it's something where it's like, you're a super organized person, but just because you can bend green, you become wild. You know, I think it's both. It's probably a little bit of both. And then over the entire Chroma Conclave, which is the school slash island that the, the, all the colors of the whatever school thing. Hogwarts. Yeah, essentially. Is a guy that can control all of the colors. And there's one every time the other one dies because they're God whose name for the life of me I can't remember and I don't really care. I want to say it's like Orlham. Made it so it's like an H name. I thought it was an O name. I always heard it said, so it always sounded like an H name. Oh, okay. So I think it's an O-H name. Oh, probably. So it's like Ohem. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. It's said with an H. I don't have a glossary in front of me. I could not tell you. The god in this world, essentially. Deemed it so. They rule over the colors. They can feel the balance, this, that, and the other. And then because it has to be like a hierarchy, the, the prism, which is the guy that can do all the colors, he's essentially the emperor over the chroma conclave. And then under him is the white, which is kind of like the prime minister under the queen. And then of each... What did we say it was called? Each territory. Oh, we went with satrapies. Cool. I'm going to call them territories. Each territory has a singular color that they kind of rules over each territory, kind of, and they all collectively come to the middle. So you have your council of the colors that are under the white. And then the blacks are the guards that protect everybody in the council and the white and the prism. And they also kind of protect all of the intermittent people there from each other, essentially, so that there's no <laughs> power structure. Not that they're doing that behind the scenes. It's just no, nobody does it in front of your face. Yeah. This is Southern politics. Yeah, essentially. And the more colors you can bend, the more powerful you are. But that I think doesn't necessarily apply if you're on the council. And then the other big thing is the more you use your color or any of the colors, the more you bend color, the more of that color is kind of transfused into your person. When you bend color, your eyes turn that color and your skin turns that color. And then slowly your iris starts to turn that color, it slowly bands outward from your pupils. And then once it reaches the end of the iris, this thing happens. Breaking the halo. You kind of shatter. It breaks out the side, out of the iris into the whites of your eyes. And those are called whites. So you'd be like color white, like a green white or a blue white. And they're essentially people that have broken the halo. And supposedly you lose your mind. You go crazy. You pass out for a minute. You wake up and you've lost your mind. You're going to go on a rampage and kill people or this, that, and the other. And so the chroma conclave, when you join the school or the island or whatever, what have you, learn and use your powers, you do this packed thing where right before you break the halo, because you don't want to break the halo because you go crazy and they're going to kill you anyway, you let the prism kill you. They have a big religious day where they murder a whole bunch of people that have bended too much and are now too close to breaking the halo. Which of course they refer to as releasing. Yeah, of course. So it's vague until later, but you know. Come on. Which I find very interesting that instead of trying to find ways to help these 
these people that have broken the halo or figure out why we lose our minds or find some way to prevent people. Because what happens is when you bend color, your body associates that with damage. It thinks, oh, I'm damaged. And then it, it heals itself sort of. But then once you break the halo, your body's like, ah, blah, 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 which is why they think you go crazy. And instead of trying to find a way to fix that, we're like, nah, we'll just suicide pact. Yeah. But these are the good guys. These are the good guys, right? But they're not a cult. Yeah. And I think, okay, so I think a really big failing in the book is I think he tries for gray characters, but they're just so terrible. You're like, but what's your redeeming factor? They're not gray. And I think that's the thing. It's like, oh, here's the thing. Obviously, it's great, but actually, here are all your dark secrets. And so you go, so why should I like you? But that never gets answered. Because he's the prism. I was like, yeah, but why should I care? (laughs) Because he's powerful, obviously. Yeah. Because he has a lot of empathy. Cool, he doesn't use it. But I'm not going to do anything about it. Oh, I'm so empathetic. I feel so bad about this thing or this group of people or like the war in general. I'm not actually going to do anything about it. And then I'm going to complain that people aren't letting me do things about it, even though I show that I go rogue all the time. And then I will go rogue. Anyway, we'll get to more specific stuff. We're talking about the magic system. You're still talking about the magic system. So for the book specifically, there is subred, which is outside of our normal vision of what red is. So the human eye can pick up red. Subred is off the spectrum of what the human eye can pick up. And subreds can see this color. It's something they themselves can see. Yes, they're like the little shrimp that can see 300 colors that we can't. They see more colors. Oh, mantis shrimp? Yeah. Yeah. Also, look up a picture of a mantis shrimp. They look really dope. They're like shrimp, but they have these like huge rounded eye stock like things. So that's subred. And then we have the ones in the normal spectrum. Red, orange, yellow, green, blue. And then ultraviolet, right? It's superviolet. Is it not ultraviolet? Ultraviolet is what scientists call it. He called it superviolet. Oh, okay. And I don't understand why there wasn't a purple. Because superviolet, I didn't even notice that. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't understand that. And I get it because he needed to have seven because he does compare them to seven deadly sins. So each color has their own sin that they're tied to that you need to be able to come above, which I am a sucker for seven deadly sins so yes please okay well tell us which color is which sin go for it be free oh crap describe because they say it during the thrashing they do and i read the back okay so subred is lust red is wrath orange orange are manipulative people i don't remember what orange is i thought orange was gluttony i don't remember what yellow is well let's just google it real quick hold on wait let me pull up the seven deadly sins i think i'm forgetting what the sins are Okay, seven deadly sins. We got this. I'm proud of myself for remembering the first two. Okay. No, not the anime. Okay, so I'm going to guess, and you can correct me when I'm wrong, but I know subred is lust. Red is wrath. Orange is envy? Or is it gluttony? I'm going to say it's envy, and yellow's gluttony, and then green, ooh. Ooh, I know their personality type. Okay, blue is pride, or no, that's purple. Super violet is pride. So now we're down to greed and sloth. I'm going to say, okay, no, yellow is greed, green is gluttony and or blue is gluttony and green is sloth. Okay, tell me how I'm wrong. (laughs) I gotta find the thing first. It's actually harder to find than you would think. It doesn't actually say on the wiki anywhere. 
Oh, they have since. Yes, they do. That was another thing I read in the back of the book that I forgot. Subred, charcoal, smoke, burned, red, tea leaves, tobacco, orange is a word I can't pronounce. It's rich. Yellow, eucalyptus, and mint, green, fresh, cedar, and resin, blue, light mineral, or co- coca. Yeah, that one I didn't quite understand. Okay, super violet, like cloves. Which is boring. It should smell like lilac. Come on. White smells like honey or lilac, and black has no smell. Or the smell of decayed flesh. Oh, that's nice. Affects personality. Okay, okay, here we go. Okay. Subred is wrath. Okay. So it's red is lust. No. Red is gluttony. Uh, it's all good. Orange is greed. Yellow is sloth. I got all these wrong, didn't I? Green is lust. Blue is envy. Super violet is pride. Yeah, it is. I got one right. <laughs> Woo. Black is destruction and Orholum. That's the name of the god. White is the raw word of Orholum. All right. But yeah, so I'm a sucker for that. I like that. Red should be wrath because they kept talking. No, it was subred, wasn't it? Yeah. She could use subred. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Dang it, that doesn't make sense. Anyway, so yeah, they all have a sin, and I forgot all of them because I'm dumb, but oh well. Sloth tends to be clear thinkers. Yeah, and all they do is think. They don't do. Cheerful, wise, balanced, watchful, impassive, observant, brutally honest, excellent liars. Okay. Brutally honest, but excellent liars. Not doers. Yeah, that's kind of what sloth is. All right, cool. Good job. Oh, this is ironic. Subred is wrath, but also patience. Yeah. Which is funny because red is glutton but temperance. The thing was during the ceremony, they were like, oh, this is the sin you could have. So you need to gain this virtue. Okay. And so that's why it's an opposite. So it's like you could gain this virtue, but you are likely to have this sin. I actually really liked the ceremony. I don't understand why they needed to be naked other than to let the 15 year old stare at the chick's boobs. Yeah, we'll get into that even more in a minute. But we're talking about the magic system. (laughs) There's actually more gods in the system than just the, the main god. Yeah, and that's the whole thing is the other the new kingdom wants to bring back the old gods but they're like no so the thing with the magic system that i get but i kind of don't like i liked how they started off and they were like oh subred can cast fire and that's their thing and then violet can something about hidden messages where it's like when you see subviolet it can create hidden things well only another subviolet can see it and so they'll write things or you can create shields to prevent sound so it's invisibility basically yeah it's an invisibility thing. But all the rest of them create something called Luxon. Yep. Luxon casting is boring. Yep. I don't care. During big action scenes, all this is happening, swords and bodies and what, I don't care what color your Luxon is, Prism. Yellow is cool because it is really easy to turn into light, so when you can craft yellow, that's really cool, but other than that, I really didn't care about the difference of the Luxons. Okay, so blue Luxon can be used because it's strong. It's strong and smooth. Can be used to create large structures, armor, bladed weapons. Green Luxon is springy and flexible. So usually you do like furniture, shield, throwing arms. That one I do remember because the color whites had springs on them and that was a little creepy but kind of cool. So I liked that one. Yep. Yellow Luxon is often a liquid. Yeah, that's the one where it can become light really easy. So usually you'll use it to nourish other Luxons. You can also use it as a torch or a trigger to ignite flammable materials or explosives. I just didn't care enough about each Luxon to be like, oh my gosh, he's casting blue. Right. Oh my gosh, now he's casting green. Oh, they're combining? 
No, I don't care. We spend so much time with Gavin, the differences don't matter. He can cast everything. Orange doesn't really used for anything, which is kind of weird. It's apparently a slick and lubricative, soapy, oily, heavy. Used with machines. Red, sticky, gooey, extremely flammable. I just think it would be more interesting if we continued with the specific powers. Orange are manipulative. Maybe they can do something. Optical illusions, something. I don't know. I think there was some more fun stuff that could have been there, like something a little bit more imaginative. Luxon's fine, but it's like bricks. Yeah, I feel like you should be able to do different powers. There should be one that you can make solid with, and the rest should have different random powers, you know, earth, air, fire, and water, except it's colors. Yeah. And especially in the beginning where Gavin was just gratuitously stating all the lexons he was throwing. I just got confused more than anything else. This isn't helping. Woo, colors. All right. I had to flip to the back of the book, read the entire glossary entry about Lexan to even understand what the crap he was talking about. And you don't find out the truth about Lexan or the fact that the colors have the seven deadly sins until like two thirds of the way through the book. And by then you don't care if you've made it that far. Yeah, at that point I did not care. So that wasn't as fun. Well, and I think the other thing is I like the idea of the Luxon. Everyone could create something maybe, but like I said, each of them having a power would have been cool. Make them special. They didn't feel that different. No, they didn't. We don't even talk about a couple of them. They just kind of are. It doesn't matter. Oh my gosh, that one's like bricks. Well, that one's like cement. Cool. What's funny is that they have a prism, right? And then all of the glossaries that have come up, they've been like, ah, yeah, the seven colors plus these two plus white and black. And I'm like, so he can do everything except for the specialty colors. Well, the specialty colors are ones we don't know about yet. I realize this, but at the same time, it's like, then what (laughs) is the point? They don't know it exists. Not considered a true color. All right. Oh, because one is like radio waves. Echolocation. That's another cool one. And the other one is essentially just spider silk. And then black is just madness. And white doesn't really... But neither of those are in this book. Well, white's a little bit in this book, but that's beside the point. That's at the end. That's with the dagger. So yeah, we've talked about the world structure, seven of them, each representing a color. The old religion is coming back. They're monotheistic, but people are wanting the old religion to come back, which is polytheistic, and each color has a god associated to it, which is another trope I actually kind of like. I like the whole old versus new, destroying your history versus embracing it, and where's the line, and I like that. That can be used really well. Some amount of time in the past, what was it, like 15 years ago? I listened to a majority of this book at double speed, and I absorbed the bare minimum. About 15 years ago, because I think that's how old Kip is. There was a war, because there's supposed to be one prism per generation, but oh no! There's two. There were two! And they have way too much pride to ever rule together, heaven forbid. See, I think it's actually their father's fault, because their father 100% pitted them against each other. 100%. Well, my thing is, everyone is like, oh, once a generation. I'm like, I bet there's more. Probably. You just happen to be the ones politically aligned to be found first. Because it's really obvious they're setting up Kit that he's a prism. Oh, yeah. It's really obvious. It was obvious as soon as they were like, I don't know who my dad is. And I'm like, ha ha ha. But he doesn't know that. You see as he progresses through it, he doesn't know that he has all these powers. And so in my mind, I'm sure there are plenty of casters that potentially could be the prism, but just either don't have the training behind it or the political people behind him. I mean, also, you wouldn't assume that you could do all the colors. You're like, oh, there's already a prism. Obviously, I'm not going to be able to do all the colors. So why try? Yeah, his father was dead set on having a prism. He basically trained the older one to be one. The younger one found out that he could do all the colors when the girl they were 
fighting over his brothers decided they were going to kill him. Yeah. And so in that fit of desperation, he was able to, which is how kind of Kip learned some of the colors that he didn't know he had. So all I'm saying is this is a very faulty system. This is a very faulty system. And it's dumb to set it up as only one prism can exist because then you have systems where there's two and you could have used two, but y'all had to manage ego to work together. I like how this book was like, yeah, there's only one prism and then immediately goes into, but there's two. There's no mystery about it. There's no build to that. It's just like, there should only be one, but there's two. Now let's begin the story. Didn't what? Okay. Which automatically makes me think there's more than one. I'm willing to bet there's seven. (laughs) If I had to guess. Like there could have been a council of prisms. All I'm saying is this is dumb. This is dumb. The political system is really dumb and I hate it, but that's beside the point. Anyway, Gavin and Dazen fight each other and then, oh, shock and surprise. Okay, I actually like this. They think Gavin won this entire time. Actually, what happened was Gavin is in a prison underground and Dazen is now pretending to be Gavin and is now going by Gavin. So now it's Gavin, quote unquote, Dazen. So I both love and hate this. They should have left it for longer because we find out pretty early on the brother isn't being held in a prison made of blue luxon deep, deep, deep in the tower, right? And we could have been fine with that. Could have gone along with that for a deliberated period of time, almost to the very, very end of the book and then revealed that actually the brother we think is Gavin is actually Dazen. But no, we reveal that not even halfway through the book. I was okay with it only because the prisoner doesn't matter that much. No, he doesn't. Maybe he comes important in other books, but meh. First of all, smart plan. This is a great plan. Dazen wasn't going to win. Dazen wanted to be prison. Dazen. He just switcherooed it. That's really smart. He should have committed. He should have killed his brother. It was really dumb that he didn't kill his brother. It's really dumb. Later on, he realizes he should kill his brother, but doesn't. Because question mark? My brother saved my life that one time, so I can't kill him. Because I have all of this willpower, but I just, I can't, can't kill him. And I hate this because you know what that means to me? He started a war. He was fine with all of these innocents being killed. Fine. That's what war is about. But in actuality, he wasn't going to finish the war. So he just started a war to kill people and then pull up. But I'm too good to kill my brother. Heaven forbid we start more wars down the line. Hey, buddy, maybe next time you keep the family feud inside the family. It's really dumb. This whole I'm too good to do that. No, you're a wimp and a coward. You weren't too good to start a war and murder a bunch of innocents and ruin several nations' lives. Also, there's a nation that's still being oppressed. But no, the councils are just big meanies that are keeping you. And one of my seven goals that I want to finish before I die because all prisms eventually die was to like save this one city that I totally wrecked, but it's been 15 years and I can't get the council to agree to save them. All I hear is wine, 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 wine. And then it's like, oh, we have the seven of you here, but actually like only four of you can benefit from this system. And that makes no sense. But you're still okay with it being capitalized. It didn't make sense. It was dumb. And for them to be like, yeah, keep the city for two years. No, die, your 
you're setting them up to not care about it. It doesn't make sense as somebody's compromise. Who came up with this? And then everyone just agrees. Yeah, that's totally what's happening. A man came up with that. Well, I mean, yes, his name is Brent, but (laughs) yeah, that was dumb. It was dumb politics. Really dumb. Very dumb politics. The whole plot of the book is there's this kid. He's an orphan. He doesn't know who his parent is. The prism's like, oh my gosh, you're my kid. And so he takes him back to the school. The number of people at the beginning of the book that kept asking Kip, don't you feel like you don't belong and you're actually kind of special? And Kip would be like, yeah, kind of. Hashtag not like other girls. Are you not like other girls, Kip? Yeah, kind (laughs) of. Get this. So the prism takes the child, gets him to the school, enrolls him in the school, and then immediately takes him away from the school. Okay, but he rolled him in the school so he could find out what colors he could use. The plan was always to take him away from the school before they even got to the school. He was like, do you want to go to the school or you want to come with me and do shit? And he was like, well, I want to go with you. Yeah, but why did we have to spend chapters exploring the school? I don't care about every single tower. Because we have to set the scene. This is the world building book. We have to world build, even though the only thing that really matters is the thrasher, which is the test that they use to find out all the colors, which I think I understand where he was coming from. I do. The whole thing with the thrasher is that you're put into a, essentially an hallucinogenic chamber that puts you through your worst fears and you're told that if you pull the bell to leave the chamber, you fail and you have to leave the school and just bad things will happen from that point forward. And the goal is to get your eyes to dilate so that the room can scan your eyes to figure out which colors you can use. Yeah. And I get it and I hate it. Okay. I like it theoretically. Yes. Like you said. It's a cool read. It's very interesting. Practically. I hate it. Let's talk about hazing. (laughs) In theory, I like it. In practice, I hate it. Who developed this? Also, can we talk about the woman that decided to fat shame the kid that was going through the hallucinogenic chamber? Oh my gosh, that one. I'm glad she lost her job from that. Though it wasn't from the fat shaming, it was from the, yeah, you made him fail the test. Good job. The fat shaming is not even subtle. He fat shames himself all the time. He does. That's negative self-talk. Why is it that all of the people in the book care so much are gorgeous and are mentioned over and over? Oh yes, this person is hot and muscular and that woman is gorgeous and these people are gorgeous and all of these people are gorgeous, but Kip is the only one that is not traditionally pretty. Because hashtag not like other girls. I mean, I get being heavy. But yeah, it's not even subtle. I don't believe some of you, your sin is sloth. Don't tell me you're working out every day. What? Yeah. Is this a world where only Kip is fat? Apparently. And I use the word fat because they use the word fat over and over and over and over. Yeah, that's one of the Goodreads questions, I think for book two or three. Kip does a lot of crap and someone was literally like, how is he not losing weight? Why is he still fat shamed? How is he not losing? There's a whole section of the book right after the prison picks him up, right? There's this whole thing where you can build a boat out of Luxon and you use your own physical strength to like run and it propels the boat, right? This whole thing. And he goes out through the entire day and of course he's very ripped and muscular and beautiful and whatever. Whatever. And then Kip is like, can I help? And he's like, sure. And so he takes a nap because he's tired because he's been sprinting for hours. And so Kip kind of does this kind of like run jog thing and this walk thing and he's expending a lot of energy into this and goes all night. But he is fat. Yeah. Even though they were like, and he was so tired afterwards. How? It's not even like big bone. It's not like it has like a lot of meat or muscle on him. He's not just big. He's fat. I couldn't do that. 
No, I could not row a boat all night. Who can row a boat all night? Eight hours of this. I know people that are physically fit that can't do that. And Kip is on the heavier side. You can be heavy and be fit. That's a thing. There are people that are like that. That's a legit thing. I don't know anybody that can do eight plus hours of exercise and be okay. But yeah, let's fat shame him. The entire book. The entire series, apparently. Yeah. Uh, and that's one of the pros somebody listed on it was that the main character is quote unquote fat. No, I like that. And some of the hazing is <gasps> that people actually have to go through, you know, that's on the level. The fact that he's the only person that is this way. Yeah. Well, I get how it could potentially be be empowering to be like hey this person is also going through what I'm going through but I also feel like that's one of the reasons is a trigger warning for this I was getting triggered by how much people just focused on this kid it was cruel and terrible and Kip did it to himself all of the time which is even worse it was bad and no one at any point told him that it was okay no it's just like this is bad this is awful you're awful you're ugly there was no moment where he accepted himself either. There's no empowerment here. How is it a plus? This is not a plus. This is an easy target. This is just fat shaming. It is. This is not like having a gay character and then dealing with homophobia to come out to the other side of it. And be accepted. It would be like having a gay character in the entire five book series or I don't know how long this goes. Maybe it gets better in like three or something. Maybe it gets better. But even two books of just venomous homophobia at a person. For what? I'm so worried this book series goes for, oh, and then he got fit and everything was better. You mean like that one book we read where she was ugly and then a boy kissed her and it was all fine? Yeah, I don't like the narrative. I hate myself. I hate myself. I hate myself. Unless I'm under these specific standards, then I can like myself. I don't know. It might be empowering to some people, but to me, it just felt gross. I did not like that. That's one of my issues with the book. It doesn't feel like it was for anything other than to make Kip hate himself. He talks about eating a lot, which okay, you have a larger character who is hungry a lot, which is a legit thing, but he talks about food almost as much as he talks about boobs. And I get that he's 15, but I'm an adult. And this is written for adults. I don't care that the 15 year old is thinking about women's boobs. I don't want to creep on a 16 year old girl. I don't find that funny. I get it. He's 15 15. Boobs. I get it. Can we mention it and then move on, please? Oh my gosh. Yes, we will get there in a second. But yeah, so I didn't like that. <laughs> and I think this touches on all of this that we're talking about. This book doesn't work for me because it goes against the core of why I read and I'm pretty sure why you read, because our book club podcast is called Escape With Me. We read books to escape reality. I don't want to read a book where I get mad at the patriarchy in real life. <laughs> this is against the core essentials of why we read. Like, I play Skyrim because it's a fantasy. It's awesome. It's crazy. We're fighting dragons and I can shoot fire from my hands. But there are people that play Skyrim and download mods where you have to eat and sleep 
deep and all of these realistic aspects because it enhances the game for them. They want realism in it. And so there are plenty of people, I'm sure, who like realism in their books. To me, realism is a blemish on a fun concept. Neither of us want to have to eat three times a day and sleep and then realistic healing. No, that's not why we do this. I never sleep unless I need it to be daytime. I play Witcher. I never sleep unless I'm really low on health. And he never actually sleeps. He does this like meditative state thing. So there are a lot of things he throws in and I think they're for realism's sake, but screw that. (laughs) It's not to say you can't have realism in books because let's take a topic that a book we've already reviewed and I thought was done really well. A Song of Race and Ruins tackles slavery. Awesome. Oh, I have feelings about the slavery in this book. So I like how A Race and Ruin does it. It is integral to the plot. You see both sides of it. You come away with a deeper understanding of why it exists, but also why it's bad. And potentially you can look at things in real life in a different way. But having that fantasy aspect of it, you don't feel defensive about it like you might have if it was just shoved into your face. Slavery in the book is just a set piece. Yeah, the good guys have slaves. The bad guys have slaves. Some of the slaves are treated well. Some of the slaves are treated like... (gasps) Some of the slaves are paid. There's apparently a thing where you don't use a slave's name unless the slave tells you their name. It would not have changed if you had changed it to servant and made it, oh, that's their job. But some of them are legit slaves. Yeah. And honestly, some of the slavery doesn't even make sense. Because take, for example, the servant for... I'm calling him servant for Gavin's dad. He's like, oh, in his old life, he used to be this really, I don't remember what it was, but it was a really important job. Think like a lawyer or doctor or even heck, an accountant, like a really famous accountant or whatever. We'll make him an accountant. But then he was a slave. Slavers came to his town and picked him up and then he was sold to be a servant. And I'm sitting there like as a society. Anybody can be a slave. As a society, we've decided that anybody can be a slave. No one is safe. Yeah. He was more useful as that doctor, lawyer, accountant. And so they knew what his old job was. So instead of, you know, trying to take down the slavers because they're taking important pieces of the population. We're all just making use of this and abusing the system. At one point, Gavin's like, let's take down the slavership. It's like, why? Your society runs on it. This is clearly normal. Why? Why is it okay, though? Because, I mean, he was an important member of society and now he's a slave, which obviously means that anybody in society can become a slave. But that's okay. And you don't think this guy wasn't rich? You don't think this guy had connections and family to be like, hey, we want this person. But no. No. We're just going to assume he's totally fine being the right hand man to a random dude that's deeply embittered and insufferable. Yeah, sure. Who's apparently really powerful? Question mark. Yeah, it's um. while we're on slaves, I'm going to preface this. So this book has four main characters, four people that we see the world through their perspective. Technically five. 4.5. 4.5. We have Kip. We have Gavin, who's actually Dazen. We have Dazen, who's actually Gavin, because he's lost his mind, and now he calls himself Dazen, because, okay. And then we have Karis, which is the girl that the brothers have fought over, who actually likes Dazen, but was gonna marry Gavin, and likes Dazen more, and actually buried Gavin's child. He would be Kip's age now, because she gave it to a family. That's not gonna come back later. Fourth prism! Haha, <laughs> foreshadowing. Anyway, Gavin, that used to be Dazen, still pines after her, and he loves her and he constantly 
talks about how much he loves her and wants to be with her and all this, that, and the other, but has sex with his room slave consistently. Yep. And Karis knows about it. This is one of the parts where I'm like, dude, you got some misogyny in you. Let's just compare the two. Gavin, a man, is in love with Karis and has unrequited love. But he's allowed to sleep with women because, you know, man's needs. It's only a problem when he has an illegitimate child, apparently. Yeah. Karis loves this person. Not loves, but you get the point. He breaks off the engagement. So theoretically unrequited love, but some sort of relationship was there. It is no longer there. She is celibate for the entire time. Well, no, she's had sex with Daisy and Ann Gavin by this point. No, I meant she's celibate in the time since then. Oh, yes. Yep. Yep. Bull crap. Yep. Absolute bull. Yep. Also, can we talk about the fact that he has a room slave and part of the reason he has a room slave is specifically for sex. Yep. They don't dance around that at all. They're like, yeah, we gave you a room slave to have sex sex with. Isn't that lovely? Let's just throw in sex slavery. But obviously the sex slave likes it. So it's fine. Yeah, clearly. I mean, everybody apparently wants to sleep with Gavin because that's mentioned over and over and over and over again. And then we can look at how male nudity, there's only one scene of it. Gavin is wonderful and amazing and hot. Female nudity is a joke. Yeah, boobs. That is actually used for comedic timing. Boobs. Kip is being assassinated. Boobs. Oh, but we have to make sure he gets his face stuck in her shirt so he sees boobs. How am I supposed to take an assassination seriously? when he's still over the like they're like oh my gosh I saw her boobs they were so gross the assassination attempt is half <gasps> it's dumb and I forget about it and nothing ever comes of it ever and it's like oh my gosh her boobs so gross ew yucky women I think she was a larger woman too I think they made the assassin a larger woman and then oh Kip's so fat she can't pick him up and push him over the thing back to back oh but this is a serious assassination attempt which is followed by Kip is so fat he can't possibly pull her up over the railing that scene right there made me mad that should have been serious assassination and then Liv she's the fourth narrator I don't know Kevin decides to jump off the side of the building instead of taking an elevator like a normal person and then the author makes sure you know hey she slid and she's wearing a skirt and a bunch of people saw her butt haha haha that was important this is written for adults why are you talking about a 16 year old flashing people what am i supposed to get out of this am i supposed to think this is funny we'll slide this across the table for all of the pedophiles in the room yeah and that's the other thing or is that supposed to be enjoyable anyway that aside there's the great fact karis is only important because of the men in her life she is a pawn she does nothing she is just used yeah she's important because dazen is in love with her she's important because she was engaged to Gavin. She's important because her father controlled her. She's important because she was kidnapped by the king. She's important because her brother is the color prince. She's important because Kip wants to rescue her. She's not important. She never has really any of her own thoughts other than these topics that were just listed. Yep. She doesn't think about anything else other than that. I mean, she has moments she can fight and she can do fun bending, <gasps> but she's not really important. Yeah, that was fun, except for the most of the book, she's in a carriage being kidnapped. Yep. She's classic damsel in distress. Trash. Absolute trash. Not her, the situation. It's dumb. Not even Princess Peach level. She, at least Princess Peach has a personality. Yeah. <laughs> Liv is underused at best. Liv is used for Kip to lust over. And also is being very heavily blackmailed and then nothing ever really comes of that because they just leave. I hated 
that subplot. That was a dumb subplot. They were like, we're going to blackmail you. We're going to hurt people around you to blackmail you. And then she just leaves. And nothing comes of it. And I don't know if it copied up in another book, but for this book specifically, it was dumb. Could have gotten rid of it and had a real subplot. But no. Maybe tell someone, especially since you're on a first name basis with the prism. Tell someone. Yo, person holding my contract that's set to manage my contract hold by this company is literally blackmailing me. And you know what also really bugs me? She was holding her contract and then the prism's like, no, the school's gonna hold your contract. So then she was like, well, we're gonna cancel the contract of your friend. Whoever was funding her friend did not spend all of that money to be thrown away. Bullcrap. I'm calling that. There is no way that person has paid for their education up to this point and is totally fine with you kicking her out. No, you're not going to give that much money selling. No, it was dumb. So slavery is dumb. Slavery is dumb. And it's stupid. And I don't like it's used for set piece as realism. It doesn't feel realistic. The slavery in this book is not real. It's not. If you're going to have slavery in this book, the slaves are going to come from a country relatively far away where the people at this one do not have a worry about becoming slaves unless they were to go to a country far away or to be kidnapped from here to end up somewhere else. It would make sense for them to be like, oh, they're prisoners of war. Yes. So they got him like that. Or, oh, they're coming from this country that we're abusing. We're just taking their people. But no. No. People are slaves. Anyone can be a slave. Anyone. No take backsies. They put a little stamp on your hand. It's like, see, you can't not be a slave now. That's how this works. If you can do slaves, do slaves, right? Please. They really didn't need to exist. Maybe don't have the good guys have slaves. Just a thought. Or at least make it actually gray if you wanted to do that. I think that's another thing where it's like, oh, Gavin's a gray character. Remember, he's got issues, problems, vices, all of the above. When you focus so hard on making your character gray that they aren't likable, redeemable at all. The point of the gray character is it's supposed to be morally gray, not unlikable. What was the thought process here? It's telling. That's what it is. You are told. And this happens over and over in each chapter. Each chapter is a different narrator. So it'll be like this chapter, Gavin going, oh, I'm so awesome at this. Next chapter, somebody else going, Oh, Gavin's so awesome at this. Next chapter, Gavin fails to do the thing. Next chapter, someone going, Oh my gosh, Gavin, how did you fail the thing? You're the prism. Next chapter, Gavin going, How did I fail the thing? I'm the prism. Over and over and over. Hit repeat and continue on. He's obnoxious. He's egotistical. He is dumb as a bag of bricks. Bag of bricks. He's a coward. But we all love the bag of bricks. Gotta have that bag of bricks. He has no empathy. He is weak. He is unable to use any political power to his advantage. But they told us in the beginning of the book how great he is. So clearly he must be. That's my problem with Gavin. So yeah, I don't like Gavin. Kip's narration is filled with self-hate. Liv is super underutilized until the very, very ending of the book where she suddenly gets very interesting. And the only reason she changes sides is because she assumes she never asks she makes this assumption where her dad's being blackmailed by the prism but up until this point she's liked the prism but her dad has to dislike him right so obviously he's being blackmailed yeah because supposedly he's gavin and then her dad fought against gavin and so it's like oh they would never work together except she's been totally indoctrinated that gavin's this awesome person and then they get there and it's like what my dad gets along with him it's been 15 years honey obviously he's being blackmailed with my life 
five. So she changes sides and goes over to the super chromat's side because him and the super whites don't want to die because who would? Heaven forbid. I also don't understand how she didn't even think of the common enemy thing. Sure, he might hate the prism and be bitter, but this dude literally massacred their village. But no, obviously. But no, obviously he must hate the prism. That's the only reason he's on his side right now. It's got to be blackmail. I've been blackmailed. So clearly you're also being blackmailed. Nothing else it could potentially be. So I take it back. Liv does not become interesting. What happens around her is interesting. So that makes her narration interesting because she's not contributing except for being a warm body that we can hear the rhetoric from other people. The rhetoric is interesting. I'll give props for this. And you might have tuned this out, but I really enjoyed this. I absorbed more than you would think. Where the color prince is giving a speech about how terrible Gavin is. And then he juxtaposes that with the releasing ceremony from Gavin's perspective. And it jumps back and forth really well. And I really enjoyed that. Those two things interlocked. You can see why they've formed this quote unquote in the books world cult, even though the main system is actually the cult. And it's really terrifying because who the frick frack would want to be a part of that. We've been forced into this and we don't want to die. Yeah. You kind of look back at the old ways and the new ways and you're just like, how did we get here? This is worse. (laughs) Maybe we find a solution so that people don't have to die. And you know that the end of the series, we're going to go back to just, oh yeah, you know, we'll kill the people that become super white. (laughs) No, I think at the end, they're going to be like, oh, and the color whites and the humans got along. That's where I feel like this is going. Just the whole time we were going through the book, it felt like, yeah, this is the good thing. This is the right way. This is the way it's supposed to be. Those people are bad. Yeah. And that's why, like I said, I think he was trying to make Grey, like he would say, oh, they're great, and then show all these terrible things. But you can't make a Grey character off that. A Grey character also has to do good things. You have shown me that this is politically corrupt. They don't care about their students. They're just using them as pawns for their wars and their political games, and it never ends and nothing gets better. Why are we doing this? Yep. I want a rebellion. Maybe not that rebellion. Yep, 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 yep. But I want a rebellion. But yeah, all of the narrators, I hate. I also hate them. So this book got tedious and not fun. Which is why very early on I switched it to times two speed because I was like, I don't want to listen to this anymore. You know who would have been a good narrator? Who would have been a good narrator? Okay, there's a couple people I think that would have been really good narrators and I wish we had them instead. Iron Fist? Oh man, Iron Fist would have been great. I would have rather this book been about Iron Fist and him trying to work his way through the two sides fighting and him looking at it and being like, wow, you both suck. I would have traded some Karis chapters in the war for an Iron Fist chapter. Oh, man. Can the book just be about Iron Fist, please? Liv's dad, I also think would be a really good narrator. Yes. Yeah, Corvus would have been a great narrator. He did narrate a little bit. Yeah, we got conversations with him, which were kind of cool. I think Gavin's mom would be a cool narrator. Yes, that would have been a cool chapter. That's kind of it. Those are the only ones where I was like, I wish I heard from you. I liked those characters and they were not nearly as important. So Also, something with the tone switches in the beginning were so extreme that I started the book hating Gavin. Yep. Because it starts off and it flips between Kip and Gavin and Gavin's over there like, oh no, I love her. I'm so sad. Kip watching his friends and family die. Gavin, wow, she's so amazing. I wish she loved me. Kip watching his mother die, getting this dagger, making this life decision to kill this king. Gavin, wow, I wish she loved 
robbed me. Even though I broke off the engagement. She can't find out about the illegitimate child that isn't mine, but it's supposed to be mine because I'm now my brother. Gavin, I don't care about your love woes. This mm. child is literally going through something terribly traumatic that never gets discussed. No one tries to talk to him about this. At one point, they're like, Liv was upset about it. Kip just went through a crap ton, but no, he's a boy. They don't care. Trauma, but it's fine. Was actually there and witnessed a lot of the death, but it's fine. Let's talk about some of the lip service that was done here. I actually kind of hate he made the default caster pronoun she because it's lip service because I don't actually believe that would happen because being called a woman is an insult. Kip continuously, every time he cries, goes, man, I'm such a woman. And then on top of that, the only people that can be super violets are girls. And so you think, wow, super violets must be important and cool. No. No. They're basically secretaries. Yup. So you're telling me the class that is only women are useless secretaries. Yeah, the group that can see more colors than anybody else and can probably cast better than anybody else is looked down upon. Correct. They're useless. Liv even says her contract is basically useless. And that's why she has to be a dual caster in yellow and purple. Yeah, thanks. Cool. How am I supposed to see myself in this world? Should I be a secretary? Is that what this is? Crying over there being kidnapped by men so I'm important? Mm. Also, I love that all women are either beautiful, which is the first thing that he says about them. Beautiful, insert description. Or they are hags. There is no in-between. There's no in-between. Because we have to describe everybody's appearance. We can't just be like, yes, this person. Yeah, which would be fine if he just gave a description, but he always adds qualifiers. Well, sometimes it's only qualifiers. Yeah. That's the other thing. I wanted to like Kara so much, and I couldn't because she was cool, and then she was useless. She's okay. I didn't hate her. I thought she was leading up to something, and then she wasn't. Yep. So, that was great. Disappointing. The only important things that ever happened to her life were male-centered. Oh. I also like how basically all of the girl characters hate each other, except for some rare exceptions. Oh. Also love how in the Super Violets automatically have to hate the rich, pretty... I don't remember the third one. Politically connected because obviously they're terrible people by default. Mean girls, right? They couldn't possibly have female friendships because girls are so catty. Mm -hmm. Also, I wanted to scream when that one girl was losing her contract and her world was about to end, but then she spent like a page blabbering on that at least Gavin liked her outfit. My life is ending, but at least Gavin liked my outfit. At least a boy thought my outfit was cute. But a boy looked at me. Yeah, a bag of bricks looked at you. Get over yourself. Yeah. I have all of these opinions, obviously, and I'm like, maybe I'm just being a negative Nelly and getting on my soapbox. But you go to his Goodreads questions and they're always like, do the women's descriptions stop sounding like a 15 year old perv? And the answer is no. No. Does this book have any strong female characters? No. <laughs> Why is Kip always described as fat? Because he is. So I'm sure there are plenty of great. I do think he handled a lot of the plot twists really well. And so I'm sure there's a lot of great ones to come. I also liked at the end where Gavin was losing blue because he got stabbed, but also he's dumb and doesn't realize it has anything to do with the dagger, but okay. Your dad and brother just said that it was going to be the end of you and you're just letting it exist. Fine. Another moment of Gavin be dumb. Karis figured out, can we talk about how many things would have been solved if these people knew how to communicate? You want people to communicate? That's nuts. That's insane. Where is the school council? 
counselor. The school counselor was turned into a slave ages ago. We don't actually know where they are anymore and it doesn't really matter because they got got. Because if Liv's dad had talked to her, that could have been solved. If Devin communicated with Karis, that could have been solved. It's on his list of things to do. If Kip talked to Gavin about the dagger, Gavin could have figured that out sooner. So much communication issue. You want them to communicate? I know. Crazy. It's absolutely insane. If you're curious, this book, I don't think, passes the Bechdel test, which is a test that measures the representation of women in fiction by whether a work features at least two women who talk to each other about something other than a man. Yeah, that doesn't happen in this book. That doesn't happen in this book. We have two female narrators, but that does not happen in this book. No. Even when they're talking outside characters, it's usually about Gavin. It's about Gavin. The blackmail is about Gavin. Even the friendship conversation, it becomes about Gavin. It's about Gavin. This is not past the Bechdel test. No. And that's dumb. It is such a small ask and couldn't even do that. No. It's not feasible. Women are useless, so why bother? Yeah, so here we go, Lizzie. As we escape into this world together, how do you view yourself? Where would we be? Oh, we would both definitely control Black Luxon and take over the world together. It's the only solution. I would have left. <laughs> is that bad? How do you view yourself in this world? Oh, I would have left. Nah, I'm out. I would have moved. How about no? I would have been an immigrant with an E. <laughs> Bye. Leaving. So that's basically to say I wouldn't. So yeah, so that's why I don't like this book. I can't imagine myself in it. Cool if you can. Cool if you find Gavin cool. That's fine. I don't. I have issues with it. I don't think the world was the worst place because this book came out. It's fine. I don't like it. This book is so long. 649 pages, I want to say. Not a lot happens. And not a lot happens. He explains a lot of things that he does not need to explain. So the outline really is Kip's town gets destroyed. Gavin shows up and saves Kip, but makes an enemy with the king. Karis left. They go back to the school. They pick up Liv and he gets tested. Karis gets kidnapped. They go to a random city and then there is war. And then Kip saves Karis and then they're on a boat. They've lost the city, but at least everyone's alive. Yeah, and that's it. That's it. 649 pages. Oh, also the brother escapes the blue prison to go to the green prison, which just begs the question, how is he gonna get food now? There was a blue chute. Where's the chute for the green one? He doesn't have green ink. He only has blue. How is his brother gonna know that he's gotten to the green one? I think it would have been cooler if he escaped. I wanted him to escape. I don't like Gavin or Dazen. Let me get it that straight out there. But it's more of a I want Dazen to be exposed as a liar and then I want them to finish each other off. That's another thing. One of the questions on one of the other books is, is Gavin still a narrator? And they're like, yeah, he is. Sorry. Should I keep reading these? No. The questions on his novels were a lot funnier than they should have been. If you need to ask the question if you should keep reading these, I think you should stop. That's true with any book series, though, which is why I stopped reading the Twilight series. I think if you get about 100 pages into this book and you don't like it, you're not bought by the concept and the world building and the magic system. 
It's not going to get better. No. I think that's a good amount of time. You won't learn enough about the magic system yet, so, so just go skip to the end to the glossary where it actually explains what the crap they're talking about with the magic stuff. That was helpful. I am weirdly glad he included a glossary. I feel like more fantasy books should do that. Keep a character list for me. Hey, a lot of fantasy books don't actually have concrete rules for their magic slash aren't making new magic. They're just using the base magic rules and so don't need a glossary as much. True. There are a lot of books that should have a glossary that don't. More should have a character list. I actually really enjoyed the character list, even though I didn't end up using it, obviously. But I like the concept that maybe if you like the book, like it's there. I don't know. It gave the book a weird textbook feel, which I'm kind of for. I like reading textbooks like a weirdo, so... To each their own. Overall, this wasn't for me. I think Brent is talented. He definitely has shortcomings. From the questions I read, a lot of people thought the Way of the Shadow, which was his first series. Those that thought that was juvenile thought that the Lightbringer series was a step up. So that's awesome. He loves what he does. He seems like a cool guy, but his book is like the perfect recipe of all of my issues with white male heavy genre fantasy writing. It's just this perfect cocktail of all of these things I don't like. It's like, how did you do this? But there's still a place for books like this. It's not on my bookshelf though. That is why it's not there. I promise I have good fantasies on our list. I know. Oh no, I'm telling people in the podcast world. (laughs) We had this discussion earlier. I'm letting everybody else know. There are good ones there. They're on the schedule. Yeah, it was just a recipe for disaster for me. The problem is it goes against the core of why both of us. Oh, those are my general thoughts. I will never read this again. Yeah. I don't want to read any more of them. I really don't want anybody to talk to me about this book. I feel like it would have been better if it was 200 pages or 300 pages. Let's cut this book in half. No, I don't think that would have made it better. I think it would have made it better because it would cut down on the info dumping. It would cut down the amount of time we're in Gavin's head. We would have cut it down on a lot of the extra stuff that didn't add to anything. I don't know. I think it would have been better if it was shorter. 600 pages is a lot. 600 pages took forever. You have to really buy into a book for 640 pages. So one question for the author. Let's be serious. Let's be fair. We have criticized him enough. We might as well try to come up with an actual question. My question is how did he go from ninja books to high fantasy? I don't know if it's necessarily high fantasy. It's fantasy. High fantasy is usually on par with Tolkien and this is not. From a lore perspective, there's only one creature race. There's one set of magic rules. Yeah, but high fantasy is defined as a fantasy fiction set in an alternative entirely fictional world rather than the real world. Uh, That's fair. It doesn't feel like high fantasy. The world feels too realistic but in a bad way. I mean, that's fair, but it is a fictional world. So that's technically high fantasy. And then there's low fantasy where you have your Harry Potters, where it's set in the real world, but it's fantasy. So that's high and low fantasy. It's kind of silly. I don't know why they called it that. I also think it's confusing when you call it high fantasy. You think Tolkien and elves and races, but no, it's literally just it's set in a fictional world versus not. But yeah, his first trilogy is a ninja series. And then he wrote five books about fantasy. How did we get here? Don't know. We're here now. Okay, I guess my question is going to be how he decided the rules for light magic and how he was going to set that up and then how he decided which color was going to be what sin. Yeah. Because I mean, for me, I would have done that differently, partly because of how the sins and the colors are traditionally lined up. Yeah, because green makes sense in that it's like, oh, green, wild. So I kind of want to understand his thought process of why which color was going to be what sin. I feel like 
like some of the sins didn't quite fit exactly. But you ever get to a part where you're like, okay, I'm going to make these things match up. And then you get through four of them and then you have the three left over and you're like, "Mm, I just need to put them somewhere so it matches. I've done that on things where you just have to match things. So rating, I would give this a Star Wars prequels out of 10 because there are some good things there. But then every time I started to potentially enjoy something, Jar Jar Binks showed up and ruined everything. You know when you trip, but then you catch yourself, but then you trip again, you hit the ground anyway? No. Oh, was that just me? It's probably not just you. I just don't normally catch myself and then trip. I either fall or... No, I think I usually just fall. I don't have a second one. Okay, well, imagine you've tripped, you're caught yourself, right? There's that relief of, ah, yes, I'm not going to hit the ground. And then you hit the ground anyway. Yeah, that's my rating. We don't need to ask if we're going to read again because we don't even own them anymore. Nope, they're gone now. Oh, and a fun fact. I'm a super violet. I took your test, Brent. Brent Weeks has a quiz on his website so you can find out which color you are. The questions are about as good as the book, which is not very. They're like BuzzFeed level when they used to do quizzes. Some of the answers, okay, so you have a problem and then it's like potential solution, potential solution, potential solution, potential solution, none of which I really liked. And there was a like the, oh, and then the third wall breaking answer question. But why are we here? But why is this a thing? But why? But why? I guess that was the blue answers because isn't that the one where, no, which one's sloth? Sloth is yellow. That's probably the yellow answers. Personally, it made me think of those BuzzFeed like, what Disney princess are you? And it's what activity do you like to do? And it's like, I like to go swimming. You're like, okay, well, that one's Ariel. I like to read. Hello, Belle. I like to cook and clean. Okay, Snow White. I like to dressmake. And there's Cinderella. Yeah, it was very similar to that. Yep. Color white question where it was like, there's a color white in a house. And he's like, you're going to let me break the pact and not kill me or I'm going to kill this family. And the answers are like, kill the color white, kill the color white, kill the color white. Don't kill the color white, kill the color white, kill the color white. And I'm like, can I? Nope. You got to do one of these things. I don't want to be in your cult. But that's what the quiz is for. We're joining the cult. No, it's what color you bend. You don't have to be in the cult to bend color. I'm super bad. My husband's sub red. I think you were red, weren't you? Yeah. Thanks for exploring the black prison with us. You can keep up to date with us by checking us out on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. And you can help support our podcast by checking us out on Patreon, where for just $1 a month, you can get access to our bonus episodes, where we look at the movie adaptations to some of your favorite books. This month, we're continuing our Harry Potter series with Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Join us next time when we will be exploring Shuguchara books four through six, written by the group called Peach Pit. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. I'm Sam Reiner. And I'm Lizzie Sawyer. And we hope to see you and a friend here next time.